All right, pop quiz. What's the guiding principle for male-female relationships? Okay, get ready, get ready, raise your hands. What is the guiding principle for male-female relationships in the church? One word. Oh, I like that one. <laughs> That's a good one, too. I can't disagree. Clarity? I thought it was Christian warmth, like two words. Oh, that's a good one, too. That was in there. Um, let's see. Oh, you're getting close now. You're getting close. I'll give you a hint. Here's your hint. First Timothy 5.2. I thought it was on your sheets from last week. I'm looking right at it. I think it is. A guiding principle for male-female relationships in the church is... Uh, there it is, siblinghood. Very good. Excellent. There you go. It's a great book. So I'm giving away two this week because I didn't give away one last week. And I'm just like, man, I, I got to stop forgetting these things. I got I to gotta do what I tell you I'm going to do. So that's two this week. One next week. We'll try to give out one a week. That's the, that's the aim. Everybody grab a sheet. Everybody got one? They're up here. Lesson number seven, romance to the glory of God, message number one. from. And I, Amy was asking me, how long is this romance part going to go? I'm like, boy, I, got, I already got four lessons in the queue. So <laughs> who knows? And then Amy just walked in. Our last lesson won't be a lesson. It's going to be a Q&A. So I'll, I'll give you a fair warning. I'll tell you when it's coming up so you can spend the week thinking about questions. Amy and I are going to just sit up here and you get to ask us questions for now, okay? On this, on this topic. Not just anything, but on this topic particularly. And in fact, as we were preparing for this lesson, uh, some folks in the group sent out a survey and you answer that survey. And so I've taken those questions and as we've gone through, I've tried to answer them. And now as we're coming towards the end of things, I'm making sure that all those answers, or all those questions are being answered. And so I will actually be taking specific ones off that survey today and answering them, and we'll be doing that to make sure every question that was put on the survey by you guys will be answered, and then we'll try to catch everything when Amy and I are up here for the Q&A at the end, okay? So this is message number one, from corporate friendship to exclusivity to clarity. So let's basically review from last week because this is going to lead naturally into what we're going to talk about today. So where do we begin when we talk about this issue of romance? Now let's just say that word romance should bring a little bit of fluttering in your heart and, and that's a good thing because that's the way God has created it. God has created this mystery of romance, this mystery of men and women, a man and woman coming together uh, in this, this union. It's a, it is a mystery. It's a delightful ministry, uh, mystery. It's a, it's a wonderful thing that God has created. And as we've noted, it doesn't just begin by diving into the issue of romance. That's why you guys have been waiting for me to finally get here, but we had to build to get here. We had to talk about marriage. We had to talk about singleness. We had to, be, we had to talk about what it means to be created in, as a man and what it means to be created as a woman, and then pursue that in godliness and pursue godly masculinity and pursue godly femininity and, and, and then talk about friendship. And now we are able to talk about romance, this delightful mystery that God has 
given us to enjoy, but also to glorify Him. And ultimately, as we see in Ephesians 5, in marriage, to reflect the grand mystery, which is Christ's relationship with His church. So God has created something good. It's beautiful. It's temporary. It's temporary, remember? Uh, we will not be married in, in heaven. Mormons are wrong. They are dead wrong on this issue. We will not be married in heaven. We will be siblings forever, and there will be no more um, uh, coming together in marital union. But where does romance begin? And when I say that, you, you're probably going to have some questions as we work through this, practical questions, and I think one of them, I'm already anticipating it. Derek, what about online dating? What, what do you think about that? That is an issue we will tackle in a, a lesson or two from now. Okay, so we're not going to tackle it directly today, but we will talk about it. But as we are considering this issue of relationships, we are considering it, considering it primarily within the local congregation, within the church. Where does romance begin? It begins with gospel friendships in the church. This is what we were talking about last week. And what I hope to do by what we saw last week and as we continue to talk about these things is to see you pursue brotherly affection among one another. And that can be characterized and should be characterized like this. These are things to be seeking. Joy over the rea reality that each of you are loved by Christ and love the Savior. So when you see, as a guy, when you see your sister walk in, or when you're fellowshipping with your sister, or when you're in a group with your sister, and this sisters, ladies, this goes for your relationship with your brothers, you have joy, and this is something to seek, you have joy over them because they are loved by Christ. It is good to have a holy joy over your sister in Christ because she is loved by Christ. There is going to someday become or come when we are in the new heavens and the new earth and living in eternity with, without sin, we'll be able to behold one another as brothers and sisters in Christ in total purity, rejoicing over one another, uh, rejoicing over who you are and, and who I am and, and, and in Christ and being able to rejoice over the fact that Christ has loved us and loved you. And so there's coming a day when the sin will be removed from all of this. But right now we can, this is something to pursue in the church between men and women. You're not to avoid one another or feel awkward around one another, but rather see, seek this joy over the rea reality that you are loved by Christ and that you love the Savior. And that also will lead to lust-free delight, this is the second point, in each other's Christ-like character and unique personalities, God's image bearers. So there should be corporate gathering and getting together and talking with one another and, and seeing one another and delighting in one another. It doesn't have to be romantic. It can be at a sibling level. Okay? And then envy-free envy appreciation of one another's spiritual gifts, both men and women, and their unique contribution to the body. And this is something, these things are something to seek, to be cultivating by God's grace. And I think if we saw this happening in our church, and I do see a lot of it already, so just to encourage you, but this would be a healthy situation among brothers and sisters. I want us to be a church that overcomes the avoidance and the awkwardness between guys and girls, between men and women in the church, because you are brothers and sisters in the Lord. The Spirit has created, you don't pursue unity you pursue, you pursue to maintain unity. The, un, the Spirit has already given you unity in Christ. You both have a relationship with Christ. You're, you have a common relationship with Christ, and now you have unity in the Spirit. And so 
this is something to pursue. Men and, uh, men and women in the church should first be seeking close friendships with members of the same sex in individual and corporate settings, and secondly, seeking brotherly f relationships with members of the opposite sex within corporate settings. And one of the things I did argue last week, and I'll just reemphasize, is that there should be seeking of relational depth and closeness, guys with guys and ladies with ladies. And there should be sibling love and, and joy and delight among the men and the women in the church, but there can't be the same kind of depth and intimacy that's reserved for uh, same-sex uh, friendships and romantic relationships because, as I've noted, once a person gets married, there is a change in terms of the way they are going to interact and engage with members of the opposite sex because now you're in a mediated relationship. Every relationship that I have with another female is mediated through Amy. And Amy doesn't even need to be there because we're one flesh. It's just, that's reality. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a spiritual reality. So every relationship I have a female, it's mediated through uh, Amy. She is my dearest, nearest, and dearest female friend and companion. And so, in relationship. So that makes a difference in how I relate to other women. So if you are seeking close relationships with guys, with uh, females and, and ladies with, with, with the guys, and that's all going to change someday. But what's not going to change dramatically is your relationships with ladies, with the other ladies, with your sisters and guys, with your brothers in the Lord. Those will remain intact, but what will change are your uh, opposite sex relationships after you are married. Also, when you're seeking relational intimacy with members of the opposite sex without any intention of leading that to romance, that can cause a lot of confusion, particularly on the ladies' end, guys. And we'll talk about that when we talk about leadership. Okay. Single men and women in the church should be getting together in groups for prayer, study, ministry, and fun as much as possible. Can I get an amen? How was Friday night? How was Friday night at Michael's? Was it legit? All right. I mean, I, we, Amy and I just like watching the email there. They're like, ooh, this is fun. <laughs> Um, next one. In these corporate settings, single men should aim to treat their sisters with respect, honor, and brotherly affection. Hey, isn't that great? Doesn't that sound fun? Just, just hanging out, having a good time, brotherly affection. She's my sister in Christ. Men must also be careful that they're not treating their sisters in ways that could lead their sisters to conclude that they are romantically interested, unless they are. Your goal, guys, in your relationships with the ladies is not to lead them on, but to show them honor and to show honor to all of your sisters. Okay? When you start uh, setting on one, that's called exclusivity, and that's now going intending to lead to romance. But you're to show honor to all of your sisters. Honored by, here's just a few suggestions. Opening the doors for them. I don't care what the culture says. Like, that's still a respectful and honorable thing to do. Open doors for them. Don't interrupt them when they're talking. Don't talk all about yourself. We'll talk more about that in a moment. Uh, encourage them. Pray for them. Protect them. And that should go for all of them in here. Not just one or two that you really kind of think are cool, but all of them. All of your sisters in the Lord. Okay, but that is, should be followed up with this. Number five, single women should feel free to get, their, get to know their brothers in Christ and to join them in ministry but they should be careful not to interpret friendly conversations and brotherly affection as evidence of romantic interest. Remember we said 
uh, we can have a sibling-like relationship with one another. And so, ladies, just be careful that, you know, when you have a, a brother just showing you normal brotherly affection and kindness and Christian warmth that you don't all of a sudden, oh, he's the one, whoa, yes, woohoo, right? That's not, that, that may create some uh, awkwardness. Guys, you want to be careful that you're not flirting with, with the ladies. A flirting man is an immature man. Well, how do I def- define flirting? It's arousing attention from a, a female for your own personal sense of worth and good feelings. Like, I want her to like me because it makes me feel good. That's, that's what flirting does. Okay? But a boy-crazy woman is an immature woman. And so you want to be careful, ladies, that you are not taking simple brotherly affection as evidence of romantic interest. Your goal, ladies, is not to brood over possibilities of, of romance, but to receive brotherly affection from your brothers and to thank God for it. Okay, so that was just a review I wanted to... Because that leads naturally now into this next point. Because from corporate friendship then, and I, I, I don't know if I coined that phrase, but I, I think it's a helpful phrase when we're referring to men and women in the church. It's a corporate friendship. Okay? Because then that helps you understand how that then leads to something more exclusive. You are, you are in the church. You are friends and, and brothers and sisters with one another. And when this is happening, when... Brotherly affection, this point one at the top here, with joy over uh, the reality that they're loved by each other, are loved by Christ, less free delight in each other's character, and envy free appreciation of one another's spiritual gifts, and these kinds of things are happening, then romantic interest will naturally arise out of this corporate friendship in an environment of Christ centered brotherly affection, respect, and joy. They'll just naturally spin off. It's just, you guys are getting together a lot in groups, and you're treating each other this way, and you're delighting in each other this way, and you're enjoying each other in this way, and you're honoring each other in this way. You know what's going to happen? Just naturally, romantic relationships are going to spin off. I think that's, that's how it should be. So, um, number two, oh, so that, that's, that's just basic observation, and and, uh, I, I, and an application of, of, of these principles in our, in our corporate setting. Romantic interest will naturally arise out of the corporate friendships in an environment of Christ-centered brotherly affection, respect, and joy, which is why, you know, we're going to talk specifically about the issue of online dating. And I don't condemn it. I'm not one who says you shouldn't ever do it uh, or that kind of thing. However, you can see how in this kind of setting, this, this would be the most healthy and wisdom-producing and wisdom-promoting kind of environment for romantic relationships to, to flow out of, right? Now, I don't think we need to throw online dating out the window, and I do think there are some principles we can apply to make sure that that is a healthy situation for you, but nevertheless, cannot hide the fact that when you describe the church functioning this way between men and women, won't that be the most healthy and happy environment for romantic relationships to grow up? I think so. Number two, here we go, guys. All right, this is exciting. Now we're jumping into it. Woo-wee. All right, men should initiate in expressing interest. Men should initiate in expressing interest. This is something even challenged today, whether or not this should be the rule or the exception, or if it could just be shared between 
both, I'm going to make an argument that biblically speaking, God has given it to the man. Now, we don't have uh, a whole lot of explicit text laying this out, although I do think we have enough to make a case. Because the genius of the Bible is that you can come together in any way, shape, or form, say, for example, an arranged marriage, right? Let's say your marriage is arranged, you have no choice in the matter, you're getting married to this person, and this is, this is uh, ter- fairly typical throughout history. I mean, the fact that you guys have the freedom to go choose your uh, bride and, or to say yes or no to a, a suitor, ladies, is, is relatively new in, in our, in our uh, day and age because even in times past, you had very, very strong, even when it was, you did have the freedom, you had very strong family and social pressures, pressures to marry a particular person, even if it wasn't formally arranged. So the genius of the Bible, though, is that even if that's the case, it doesn't matter how your marriage comes about, you are able to cultivate love in a Christ-honoring relationship even then, because Scripture is most concerned with what happens after the I do, okay? So that's the genius of Scripture. It doesn't say it has to come together. It has to come together in a certain way, and if it doesn't come together this certain way, then you're done. You might as well forget it and just count on a divorce. No, it actually is focusing on that post-I do marriage so that even those who had an arranged marriage and didn't have the most ideal situation and they couldn't follow through with some of these, this, uh, this wise counsel can still have a Christ-honoring, happy marriage. Okay, so that's the genius of Scripture. But nevertheless, I'm going to make an argument that in this situation that we are presently in, and just overall, by the way, God has made the man, and this now ties back to what we talked about manhood. It ties back to what we talked about how God created man and and made him and designated him as the leader. This now is tied into his call to initiate romantic relationships. So you turn to Genesis 2.24, and this is... Not a, a slam dunk verse, but it's going to be tied together with some other ones. So God creates man. He creates him first. We saw that. We said that that had leadership significance. Then he re- created the woman, not out of the dust like the man, but from him. And Paul recognizes this in 1 Timothy 2 and 1 Corinthians 11, that this is actually an indication that the man has been designated by God to be the leader. So then he... Moses here is emphasizing that, showing that the man himself must be the one to leave father and mother, leading out into this new family. And he says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So here, Moses is recognizing that it is the, it's, it's bound to the man to make sure that, this, that he leaves father and mother and that he forms this new family, because if he doesn't do it, then that little new family will be ever enmeshed in the two previous families, the in-law families, as it were, and there'll be all kinds of trouble, and there will be control from these other two families rather than this new family setting out to be who God has called them to be. See, God has given a kind of autonomy and independence to these uh, nuclear families, so to speak, so that they now make the decisions on how their family functions. The decisions are no longer made from the the two in-law families. Okay? And so this is demonstrating here that the man has leadership responsibilities to make sure that happens. Well, you might be wondering, how does that relate directly to him being an initiator? Well, as we already saw, um, the man is designated in Genesis 2 as the leader. 
So wouldn't it just be natural to recognize him as a leader in this respect as well? He's the leader in, in respect to his relationship with uh, a woman. Would this not, would, doesn't it not, does it not make sense then that he would be a leader in respect to initiating a relationship? But let's continue to dig in. Okay, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 22. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And you might be thinking, what, what, what's your point? My point is, is the finding implies what? Initiative, Initiative seeking, looking. Okay, I don't think the idea is like, do, 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 do. A wife! <laughs> I don't think that's, I don't th I think there's more, I think there's more initiative here. He's looking, he's searching, and now he's, he's founder. And... It's a huge blessing and obtains favor from the Lord. So just the, the thrust here and, and the fact that Proverbs is written to the son of Solomon. He's in giving him instruction here. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Son, go out and find yourself a wife and you, you find a wife. And this is not just any old wife as we've seen already. We talked about this. This is a godly woman. This is a God-fearing woman in the context of Proverbs. If you find that wife, you have found a good thing and you have obtained favor from the Lord. I mean, you guys, finding a godly wife is a huge, huge thing. What a blessing to your life. She will ground you. She will bless you. She will honor you. She will make you a better man. She will free you up for ministry. She will make you happy to come home. She'll be, make you excited to be with... I mean, just on and on and on and on, okay? So she will make you a better man. Man, you will obtain favor from the Lord. But the implication here is that you're seeking it out. Okay? Ephesians 5.25. Now we're going to get a little more theological. Okay. Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Let me ask you, who initiated your relationship with Jesus Christ? Who initiated the church's relationship with Jesus Christ? Was it the church? Was it you? Or was it the Son of God? Who was it? Who went after and found and won and wooed his bride? Who was it? It was Christ who did it. So the very structure of our salvation, I think, points to this reality that men should be the ones who are going out and finding and winning and wooing and winning their wives. Now again, we're, I'm not giving absolute statements here because we know that there are certain cases where men and women come together in marriage where it wasn't ideal like this. But nevertheless, given what we know about Male leadership, given the, what we know about the way God has created things, given what we know about how men are to reflect Christ in the marriage relationship, thinking about how Christ himself is the one who went out and got his bride for himself, doesn't it make sense that now the man is the one who goes and does that same thing? So I think it's just, it's just natural for the, the, the man to be the initiator in the relationship. In Revelation 21.9 is just another text tied to Ephesians 5.25 about how Christ pursues his bride. That's what he did from all eternity past. He has sought out his bride. He's planned it all. He's been the planner, the initiator. 
the one who consummates. And men, I think we have a, a calling there too. You know, I did get in a question a few years ago. Well, Derek, what happens if the relationship, there was a situation where the, the girl did um, kind of initiate things and kind of push things along. And I said, you know, I've known situations like that. I, I know of a situation of a family down in Southern California. They're married now. They got like eight kids. And, and uh, she asked, I think she asked him to marry him. So it was just um, uh, kind of a, an interesting situation. And I just, my response to that question was, what's most important is not how so much how it began, but how it continues after it begins. So guys, okay, let's say that does happen. If, if you have this situation where you come together, maybe the, the initiate, a little initiative from the, the female side, the question is to you is, are you gonna initiate from now on? Because I think that's your role. So don't get so hung up on exactly how it uh, begins, you know, now that maybe that you're into it or whatever, but guys, just consider your role and calling as leaders and how this does need to flow over into you initiating relationships uh, with the ladies, romantic relationships. So, moving from corporate friendship to exclusivity to clarity. Okay, guys, this expression of interest doesn't have to be anything more than request to spend some time together like get coffee. Here we go. Buckle up. You must be willing to bear rejection and a bit of awkwardness to make this happen. Derek, how do I, how do I come, uh, overcome the fear of rejection? By overcoming the fear of rejection. By asking her to coffee and being willing to be rejected or have some awkwardness. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. I mean, what a delightful commandment that is. Be strong and courageous in asking uh, a lady out. Be strong and courageous in this delightful thing called romance. I mean, aren't God's commandments good? So be strong and courageous, act like men, that's 1 Corinthians 16, 13, 14. Don't be passive or yield to the fear of man or the fear of woman, really, is there. Uh, Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man lays a snare. It, it may lay a snare for you so you permanently remain unmarried. You're stuck in that snare of the fear of man, fear of woman, and you are not asking anyone out because you are afraid. Initiate and keep on initiating. But, but here, here's, here's maybe a deeper issue. But before you initiate in expressing interest, you must be ready to be married. Isn't that interesting? This is totally counterculture. I mean, this would just be, you know, conventional wisdom would just laugh me out of the room for saying stuff like that. But let me just offer you these thoughts. You must be ready to be married before expressing a romantic interest. Does that sound pretty hefty? I don't think it's too much to ask. And you're only ready to be married if you can answer these four questions with a yes. Are you assured of your salvation? Paul tells us that the time of our singleness is a time to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord, not the least of which is securing your assurance, making sure that you're a believer. Coming into a relationship, a marriage relationship, where all of a sudden you're telling your wife, I don't even know if I'm a Christian, I don't know what's going on, I don't know if I believe, and oh my goodness, and now what has she got herself into? And now she's thrown all, uh, all kind, into all kinds of instability. What a disaster, what an unkind thing to do to a woman. You can't lead your wife Christianly without first being assured of your salvation. So before you are initiating romantic interest, you need to be assured of your salvation. 
Number two, are you able to provide for a wife? Now, you maybe don't have everything uh, put together, but this definitely needs to be well in place at some level. Because what you don't, here's why this point is important. What you do not want to do is string along a girl for three years while you're trying to figure things out. Okay? That's unfair to her, right? And one of the reasons it's unfair to her is, and let's just speak very frankly, guys. God has created the woman to desire to, in most cases, I know there are exceptions, and I know there are inabilities. So we know that from experience, that there are inabilities to bear children, but for the most part, most women have a desire to have children. And it's simply not fair for you to take away several years from that opportunity to have children. And, and as she gradually gets older and, and less able to have children. So you don't want to string her along for many years while you're trying to figure out the provision thing. Okay? It's not fair to her. It's also not fair because she's just left in kind of a cloud of in a haze of confusion. Where is this relationship going? Frankly, here's, here's, here's the bottom line, guys. She could be doing better things with her time than being strung along by you. Okay? That's what I'm getting at. That's my point. So you got to have the provision thing somewhat, if not fully, taken care of. Are you walking in sexual purity? You might be unable to say yes to number one, And you might be feeling disabled about initiating because we're stuck in number three. Uh, I've done a fair amount of uh, writing on the issue of pornography, and that required me to dig in into the actual physiology of pornography. There are studies that show very clearly that pornography is like a polydrug, the way it affects the brain, the way you have to chase a high. And you're always chasing that first high. And you, always are trying, you need to always increase the dosage in order to get back to that first high. That's the way that pornography is working on the brain, very, brain, very similar to a polydrug. And it decimates the male mind and heart. It robs us of initiative. It blinds us from seeing female beauty that's right before us. It enable, disables us from interacting with women in a holy and healthy way. It twists our thinking. It decreases our, uh, our sense of assurance of salvation. Okay? So, guys, let me just really be really clear. If pornography is a habit, habit, you're just not ready to date. You just aren't. Okay? And ladies, I'll, I'm kind of jumping ahead here, but you shouldn't say yes to engagement until this is clear that this is not an issue. Okay? We'll talk more about that. And if you think I don't know what I'm talking about, I could list you out uh, relationships that post-marriage are in shambles because that wasn't taken care of. Okay? Just, just I won't say it. Won't, we won't want to make it. We're recording this, so I won't say much more than that. Um, and then finally, are you firmly established and accountable to the local church? This is vital. I just don't think a guy can be spiritually stable and lead a woman in the right direction, a God-glorifying direction, unless he has the, the, the church. On the other hand, if he's got the church, these other things can be taken care of, and he, be, he can become a great and stable leader. 
right? Because God has designed the local church to be the place where the man is trained and strengthened to lead his wife and uh, his girlfriend or fiance well, okay? And again, uh, ladies, if a guy comes to you and he wants to, to date and, and so on, uh, if he's not here, I just don't know what to say. I mean, how can you expect spiritual stability in his case? How can you expect consistency? How can you expect growth? Right? He might be a Christian, but I think this is a, a vital piece. So, guys, you have to be able to answer uh, yes to those four questions. I don't think this is over the top. I don't think this is, this is not legalism. This is protecting the ladies. It's also protecting you. You want to be in a, uh, a spiritually good place before you step out and bring along a woman with you, okay? And guess what? Here's the, here's the really good news, and it even kind of terminates on the fourth point I just made. Here's the really good news. There's no reason in the world, I hope this is an encouragement to you guys, there's no reason in the world why you can't say yes to every single one of those I just mentioned. God has given you everything you need to be 100% assured of your salvation. God has given you everything that you need to be able to provide for a wife. And the question came up a few weeks ago. It's a great question. Well, um, you know, it's, it costs a lot to live here. I can't own a home in the Bay Area. Guess what, guys? You don't need to own a home to go date a, go date a woman and marry her. Did you know that? Isn't that awesome? You just need a little place. In fact, as Amy and I would tell you, it's find it kind of fun to have a little place when you start out. And you're making it happen. You're making it work. Okay? It's just fun. So, you, 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 God has given you everything you need to provide for a wife. He's given you everything you need to walk in sexual purity. If this is an issue for me, uh, for, uh, for you, come and talk to me. Knock on my door. Send me an email. Uh, get together with your small group. Whatever. Get this taken care of. You have everything you need to get it taken care of. Okay? And then finally, God has given you the local church. There's no reason in the world why you can't be firmly established and, and accountable in the local church. Okay? All right. So God's given you everything you need. That should be an encouragement to you because you should be able to say yes to each of these and God has given you everything you, you need. So you, there's nothing ultimately stopping you from initiating a romantic relationship. Isn't that good news? I think that's great news. So don't take that, what I just got done doing, don't take that as, oh man, I'm never going to date anyone. No, take that as, this is the Lord calling me to, to, to get some accountability, to wake up, to get some help, so that I can pursue a, a wife. Okay? I think one of the reasons that God makes the, the desire in men so compelling in this area is to kick them in the pants to get their act together, right? By God's grace. Okay? All right. Women, here we go. <laughs> oh boy, this is... Okay. You should be, number one, honest about your uh, feelings. Guy initiates. You need to be honest, okay? There may be guys where you're like, oh, no, absolutely not, okay? Or there may be guys where we have, we look, number three, willing to give them a chance, but you got to be honest, okay? Honest to yourself, and maybe even honest to this particular brother, okay? And guys, backing up to being willing to uh, experience and willing to bear rejection and a bit of awkwardness, you just, 
that's life as a, as a guy. Just, just is. You just got to be willing to deal with it and to move on and, and try again. Okay? Pick yourself up. Try again. Okay. You should be, ladies, got to be honest with your feelings. And I'll say more about that in a second. Literally, I will say more about that in a second, as you can see. Uh, be wise. Ladies, be wise. I don't, again, this will tie into our discussion on online dating. There is a concern about online dating in that you are going into a relationship, even if it's just the beginnings, with someone perhaps you've never even met. Right? Whereas in the church, you, you get the opportunity to to engage with, with other guys who you've got to see in various contexts for, for some time. That leads to the number three. You've got to be wise because you want to, to know someone is trustworthy, not just someone who just popped into your life. So being wise to then, number three, be willing to give a trustworthy Christian man a chance to win your affection. Okay. I was asked this question specifically in the survey. What about the... What should I think about the just give the person a chance approach to dating? What I'm arguing for here is you're not just giving anyone, as we just said, you've got to be wise, but a trustworthy Christian man, you're, you're just not sure, but he's trustworthy, he's godly, he's got a good reputation, whatever. Um, you're just not sure where your interests are at. And I would recommend... Because here we are, we're in the, the safety and the health of the local church, recommend giving him a chance. Because here's how it seems to me that God has designed it. It seems to me that God has designed the man to be the pursuer. He, his eyes alight upon a particular female, and he's like, I would like to get to know her. She comes in, and she's, she's uh, with the fifth graders during uh, VBS, and she's tall and blonde, and she's taller than you. Uh, but she comes in with the five little, the little fifth graders. So she's got her blonde hair like down to here, and you're like, "Whoa, <laughs> who is she? When does this get over?" And so, um, and so, guys, your your eyes alight upon a a particular um, uh, woman, and you, you you start to get to know her, and, and whatever it is, and then uh, you start to, you know, engage in conversation and corporate friendship and that sort of thing, and then you eventually initiate. Um, and it seems as though it's the case for, that God has made so that the, the woman responds to that initiation. And I've seen cases where the response is, it begins with a reciprocal interest. You know, like, oh yeah, he's, he's cool. I'm not sure. I don't, I'm not exactly sure, but I, there's a, I'm, I'm interested enough to, to go along. And there's times where we know this, we saw this in seminary where the, the lady is willing to go along because the guy's a, a good guy, he's godly, he's trustworthy, and she's honest about where she's at, and, and she kind of needs to make a decision with wisdom about how to communicate that to him. But nevertheless, she's willing to go along. And this, we, I'm thinking of a specific case at seminary of a family uh, we knew where she said, this is retrospectively after their marriage, she says, at the beginning of our relationship, I just wasn't attracted to him. I just wasn't. We continued, we started going on a few dates, and guess what? She experienced his kindness, his gentleness, his godliness, and guess what grew in her? Genuine affection and attraction for him. So now that they've got a great marriage. Okay? So I do think there's a sense in which the guy is, is made and called to woo and to win the affection of 
the woman. Okay? So don't, don't just discount uh, a guy just because you're not immediately uh, attracted or interested. If, if, if things are in place and it's wise and it's good, then give him a chance. And here, number four, here it is. Number one is be honest about your feelings. Number four is be honest about your feelings. Okay? Because guess what? Here's the freedom of Scripture. Scripture says to you, ladies, you are free to marry whomever you want, only in the Lord. Okay? So you don't have to marry him. You're not interested. You're not attracted. It's just not, this is just not what you're uh, um, wanting. Then be honest. Okay? Now, we're going to talk more about that because it could be that you have, ladies, you have some wrong expectations about what a relationship should look like, about what a man should be, about what a godly man should be. Because, see, here's the thing. We are all swimming in a hyperly sexualized, hyper-romanticized culture that, that gives you a certain idea. You watch those romantic comedies and you're like, oh, that sounds so fun. That's how I want mine to work out. That's how I want mine to be. And then you, yours, it's nothing like, it's never like that anyways, right? Um, and so you're, you're swimming in this kind of culture and it's hard to really have biblical expectations as to what romance should look like, what it should look like for you, what your feelings should be towards this part. Should it, he asks you on a date and you just have fireworks and butterflies and just, ah, and then you see the, the ocean parts and you see him and he's like, he is the one? Is that how it should work? No, it's never how it works, okay? It's not realistic. And it could be that you have unrealistic expectations that we need to talk about so that now you're actually impeded from going into a relationship that would otherwise would be good. Ladies, God has created marriage. It's a good thing. He's created the man to pursue a woman. How do you know that it's not God's blessing for you? And let me just say this, ladies. This goes for the guys, too. When you're being honest about your feelings, please do not say things like, I don't think God wants us to be together. Unless you have very clear biblical character issues that you can point to that are deficient in Him. Okay? But for you to bring God into it, to now God's on my side, I know God's will and it's not to date you, uh, that can be exceedingly unkind and it's, it's not only that, but it's just flat out wrong, okay? The only thing you, if, if it's the case that you're starting to get to know this person and there are very clear character deficiencies and even sin that, that must be dealt with, then you can point to Scripture and you need to be able to point to Scripture. But to, to bring in God because you're simply unwilling to be honest with the guy, that's unkind, it's unfair, Okay? So don't, don't bring in, don't get all spiritual like, yeah, I don't think God wants me in this relationship. Well, why not? Well, yeah, you get down a little deeper. Because well, I just don't like you. Okay, so that's, you got to be honest. Okay. Don't be unkind. And guys do this too, right? So uh, we both got to care for it. See, remember the goal is, you guys, we, remember we drew it on the board here last week. You have corporate friendship moves to a little bit of exclusivity, to clarity, then to uh, relational intimacy. You, want to, you always want to be able to go back to corporate friendship without any damage to the relationship, okay? And when you're unkind and dishonest, it can create more uh, problems than it 
otherwise would have. Okay, number three. As interest is initiated, the man and the woman should seek clarity before they seek relational intimacy. Right now, you're in the realm of relational care with one another. You are generally concerned for your brother or sister's spiritual walk with the Lord. You're also concerned with, you have care for, any kind of romantic expectations that they might have. That's why you don't want to flirt or lead anyone on. But you don't want to get to relational intimacy until you've gotten clarity. And again, this is a, a book you guys are going to be able to win, a book I'm going to recommend. I've already recommended it to you, to some of you by Marshall Seagal, Not Yet Married, great book. And th his, one of the, this was worth the price of the book for me, this issue of gaining clarity before relational intimacy. Clarity on what? What do you want clarity on? You want clarity on each other's character and convictions. Remember what we talked about? Now this is, again, this is direction and not perfection. Does he or does she have a soft heart towards God and towards the Word of God? And then vitally important, do you guys have some basic agreement on gender roles in the family? Remember how we said that this is, this is an area of, of compatibility, actually. So you want to get clarity in each other's character and convictions. Don't hold each other to an impossible standard. Both of you are still on the way. This is a direction. What's the direction of this person's life? You know, I, one of the questions I think I got was, uh, how much vetting should happen on a dating relationship? <clears throat> you're, not, you're not an employer, okay? You're not vetting. <laughs> uh, you're getting to know someone. You're getting to know a brother or sister at a deeper, deeper level. So let's scratch the word vetting from our vocabulary, shall we? Whoever wrote that one, you, I, I know what you meant, but I, we don't want this to be like, you know, kind of sit down. I've got a list of 20 questions. Yeah, you're not going to work. All right. Now, no, no, that's not how you're getting in a genuine, real, organic kind of way, getting to know a brother or sister in the Lord and getting character, care, clarity on their character and convictions. You want to get clarity on whether there is reciprocal interest, and that may take a little time. You want reciprocal interest, right? Um, we'll talk more about this, this in probably another lesson not next week, but maybe a week later. But there does seem to be a tendency among churches that really prize the teaching of the Word of God and biblical discipleship to promote or encourage a kind of spiritual taking one for the team. You know, I'm not really interested in her. I don't really like her, but she is godly, so I guess I'll marry her. Or vice versa. Well, he's not very... I don't really, uh, but, you know, my elders say he's godly, so I guess I'll do it. <laughs> that, first of all, that's not a great foundation to, to work on, to build on. Uh, it's insulting to the person that you are planning to marry. There does need to be some reciprocal interest. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. Now, again, as I've already said, what's ultimately important is what happens post-I do, Right? But we are trying to save you some grief. Clarity on whether there is reciprocal interest. It may take a little time. Ladies, guys, let the fruit ripen. Water it. 
Agri let's get agricultural here, you know, just give it some time to grow, okay? And you want clarity on whether this relationship could lead to marriage. Hastiness is a fruit of unbelief. Hastiness is a fruit of unbelief. Take your time. Now we'll have more to say about this in leadership. Derek, I'm just taking my time. Yeah, it's been five years. I think you've taken your time. No. We're, we're talking about in the initial stages, give it some time, get some clarity. Can this, in what you're ultimately doing, you're not dating to just hang out, dating to, to have some fun. These are, this is important. So you're, you're, you're dating in order to see whether this could lead to marriage. Now, that doesn't mean, okay, let me just be careful. That doesn't mean that, boy, he asked me out to coffee and we're going to be talking about marriage on the first night and this is intense and oh my goodness. No, that's not what it means at all. Again, let it take time, but this is, as this moves along, this is something you're seeking to gain clarity on, okay? That's why you're dating. And I've seen a lot of relationships where they're just, it's quick, it's fast, there's hastiness, and I'm telling you guys, hastiness in any part of your life, particularly this area, but in this, in any area of your life, hastiness is born out of unbelief. If you're trusting the Lord, you don't need to manipulate, you don't need to be in a hurry, you don't need to be anxious and bound up, oh, well, this, oh my goodness, if this relationship doesn't work out, then I'll just never have a relationship and I, I can't live, okay? That's born of unbelief. Okay, why do you want clarity? Why clarity? Why introduce this category of clarity? Why not just go from corporate friendship to exclusivity to relational intimacy? Just dive headlong into it. When a relationship is front-loaded with intimacy, emotional or otherwise, it becomes difficult, nigh impossible, to exercise wisdom regarding the relationship and to yield, yield to God's will. Becoming emotionally or physically attached to someone or attached to the prospect of marriage before you've been able to determine that this person would, make, would be a good candidate for marriage can lead a couple to make hasty decisions that exclude God and are devoid of true wisdom. And this just is happening all the time. It's just... Uh, two people get together and they start getting really emotionally attached, intimate, maybe even physically, uh, starting to become physically active. Oh my goodness. And what that does is that totally clouds the judgment. It brings you together in a superficial way. So now that you, you're having a hard time even seeing, can, should we even be together? You can't see it anymore. You can't tell. Whereas if you're seeking clarity first, now, point two, front-loading the relationship with clarity enables a couple to move toward greater exclusivity and relational intimacy with a good conscience and at an appropriate pace. Okay, that's what you want in your relationship. You want a good conscience. You want to be able to see God's hand in it. You want to be able to gain clarity so that when you start becoming more and more uh, intimate relationally, you're like, yes, this is, this, we believe this is pleasing to the Lord. We are moving at a good pace. We are getting to know each other. This is someone who I would like to marry. This is a good situation. Okay, you want a good conscience. And that only comes if you're front-loading the relationship with clarity. And then next, refraining from relational intimacy until there's clarity enables a couple to return to corporate friendship without damage to their relationship. This is vital. And this rarely happens. Even within the church. People refrain from a, a dating relationship after some time and break up or whatever you want to call it. And uh, now there's awkwardness. Now there's a temptation to leave that church because you don't want to be there. Seen that before. That's, that's not good. 
But if you're seeking clarity first, this will help alleviate a lot of that so that you can return back to your, that, that corporate sibling relationship and without awkwardness, too much awkwardness, and so on. Okay? You need to be right with your brothers and sisters, Matthew 5, 21 through 26. Okay? And that includes dating relationships that didn't go the way you wanted them to. Okay? You still need to be right with your brother or sister. You need to end on good terms. That's a command from Scripture. You shouldn't be going to the worship service until that's settled. And yet there are lots of couples who end their relationship who are now at odds with one another and, uh, because they didn't have clarity at the, or clarity in, in, at the beginning. Okay. Let's wrap this up. In the, uh, we can wrap this up, okay? And we can, I'll probably step in to review some of this next week. How is clarity achieved? Through wholesome conversation and getting to know each other. Talk, talk, talk. Guys, don't talk all about yourself. I mean, Amy and I have been on dates before, and the guys over here, it's an, you can tell they're a new, new couple, and like I can barely even concentrate on Amy, because all I hear is this guy talking about himself. I'm thinking, this poor woman. <laughs> and I can't eat my meal, and I can't enjoy my... Uh, date with my wife, I want to get up and say, would you just listen to her for a second? <laughs> so guys, you will really bless your sisters in Christ if you share things about yourself. You don't, you're, not, you're not hiding everything. You're sharing things. You're definitely sharing things about yourself. But to ask her questions about her, you'll blow her mind. Because guess what? Most guys are not like that. They're not. Okay? But, but Christian guys should be. You're interested in her. But this is, this, is, this is great because what you're doing now is you're getting to know a person. See, the world wrecks this because the world at date one or two wants to be physically intimate. And that is a flipping of the process, which is why there's so much confusion and so much hurt. God has created it so that you get to know this person. And then physical intimacy is the consummation of getting to know that person. And that happens on that wedding night. And if you are careful to pursue purity in this way, then it's an amazing blessing. How do you achieve clarity as a dating couple? Through fellowship with the corporate body and by avoiding relational isolation. Couples can get together and then just zip, there they are. Off on their own. And uh, Proverbs 18.1, He who isolates himself seeks his own desire, and he breaks out against all sound wisdom. That goes for couples too. Hebrews 10.24-25, that tells you to not neglect the corporate gathering. Why? Because it's, that's the only way you can get stirred up to love and good works. You can't relate well. Here's, here's the big thing. You can't relate well to the person you're dating without the corporate church, without the local body. Because they're the ones who know you and stir you up to love and good works. And it's easy to get isolated, so you want to avoid that. Number three, by relating to one another in many different settings, church, home, work, one-on-one, -on -one, groups, outdoors, indoors, among peers, with those who are older, with parents, with siblings, in relaxing situations, in stressful situations, because then you get to know the full contours of their personality and their character. Okay? And you get to see the strengths and what? And the weaknesses. And remember, we're looking for direction, not perfection. So these settings are going to bring up sins and deficiencies. And yeah, all right? And you want, to, you want to see that. You also want to be gracious and realistic. But nevertheless, that helps you see each other and get to know each other in various 
settings. It brings out the whole panorama of the person's character. Okay, that's what that's all about. By seeking wisdom from wise men and women in the church, including your leaders, the wise walk with the wise. That's Proverbs 13. If you want to be wise, you walk with the wise. And your, your elders aren't here to tell you who to date. I mean, I know churches like that. I think that's, I think that's wrong. But Proverbs, or Hebrews 13, 7 says for you to submit to your leaders inasmuch as we're teaching the Word of God. And there may be areas where, guys, maybe you're not ready to be dating it, or ladies, you're, you're looking at the wrong things with the wrong expectations. And inasmuch as we're able to show you that from the Word of God, then that's going to provide you wisdom. And so... You should be seeking that as well. By a willingness to give up all for Christ, even that relationship, that's going to give you wisdom. If you want to be Jesus' disciple, you have to be able to renounce everything, including a romantic relationship. And once you do that, you say, Lord, I am open to your will. I give it all to you. And then he returns that romantic relationship to you with the stamp of approval. Then you can enter into it a good conscience with joy and thankfulness. Okay, and then finally, but that's the only way you're going to get, without this, you're not going to have wisdom. You're going to have a lack of clarity. And then finally, through humble, diligent prayer and searching the scriptures, God gives grace to the humble. He gives wisdom to those who ask. And so you need to, that's James 1.5, so you need to be pursuing that diligently. Okay, so from corporate friendship to exclusivity to clarity, we're going to next week talk about leadership and compatibility. We'll be intertwining all these other things, so there'll be some review. So uh, it is now overtime. I want to let you go. I will pray for you, and then uh, if you have any questions, you can come up and ask me. I'd be happy to talk with you before the service, okay? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for uh, this time together. We thank you for the gift of romance. We thank you for friendship in the church. You are so good to us. God, I pray, I just ask God that you would continue to bless this group, these young professionals in their relationships with one another, that they would be healthy, happy, holy sibling relationships, and that you'd bless the romantic relationships that spin out of that. Help us all to be content in you, ultimately, and not a romantic relationship. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.